We have been in a sermon series that has been, uh, was great. We just kicked it off last week and I listened to, I was gone last week, so I got to listen to this online and uh, I really love it. It's a faith, uh, faith misunderstood is what we're calling this sermon series. Looking at these misconceptions, these misunderstandings that people have about faith that are quite common and how those can really um, lead us down some paths that end up not being great. For example, you may be aware that when people take surveys and uh, like a national level surveys to talk about what is their impression of Christian faith, the, the two words that are most associated with Christianity in America anyway are uh, judgmental and intolerant. Were you aware of that? Like statistically, survey wise, those are the words that come back. Now, you may be aware that Jesus said that his followers, if things go right, were supposed to be known by their this is how people will know that you are associated with me, Jesus, he said, because of your love, right? So it's like, how did we get to judgment and intolerance when we're supposed to be known by love? Something went wrong there. And so Caroline today has a great message about this process of growing. How do we grow? How do we develop spiritually? And uh, I think you're going to have fun listening to her. And not only is it a great message, but she's delivering it on her birthday. This is her birthday. Why don't we say happy birthday, Caroline? Thank you. Thank you, John, for not singing the song for me. Oh, no. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. That's the first. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name's Caroline, as John said, and I'm the kids and family pastor at the River. So let me get right to the to the talk that I prepared. When uh, Charles and I, um, my husband, uh, first got married, we were part of this church in Cambridge, and we used to lead a small group together. There were this, uh, there were two people in our group whose stories that I often think about, even um, today. One, um, one was Michael. Uh, she, he is Jewish, and he wasn't sure about Jesus, but came to our group and found it to be helpful and meaningful for him. He attended the group faithfully. He became friends with people. He prayed for people. He was a caterer, so he brought food to share all the time. He catered for our church event free of charge um, sometimes. He was kind and generous, and he was beloved in the group. And then there was another young woman. Her name I'm going to call Dee. She grew up in a secular home with no religious background, she was trying to make it as an artist. She was a painter. Um, she never, but she had never sold a piece. It wasn't really working out for her, the, her what her life she thought would be. Um, and then she felt that she needed some help. So she lived right across the street from our church. So one day she just decided to show up and she came to the service. And that day's sermon happened to really speak to her. So she came to get prayer, and Charles, my husband, prayed for her. And he prayed that she would make her first sale that week. 
I don't know what he was thinking. But he <laughs> boldly prayed, and guess what? It actually happened. So she started coming to the gr- church and the group. And I still remember, I still remember the first time she visited our small group, which we hosted at our place, she brought a six-pack. She thought, I'm visiting uh, somebody's house, so I should bring something. So she brought beer. What was remarkable about her is that the moment she encountered God, it, seemed, it was as if she was ready for that moment. And then there was certain spiritual maturity to her that was beyond her recent introduction to faith. These two people's stories intrigue me because they go against the prevalent assumption in churches that you grow spiritually by studying the Bible, praying regularly, and going to church. That discipleship is learning how to live a godly life based on what the Bible teaches. These two people had no prior access to Jesus' teaching, churches, or the Bible. Then how were they spiritually mature? Michael, as a Jew, didn't even confess his faith in Jesus. How is it then that he seemed more Christian in his loving and caring way than most other people? Then there are people who have spent many years going to church and going, uh, going to the Bible studies, but seem to become smaller and less attractive as human beings. I mean, don't get me wrong. I also know many, many people who take Jesus seriously and study the Bible and spiritually mature and full of life. So then why do some people go that way? And some others seem to go the opposite way. So as a kids and family pastor at the river, um, it's been my job for the last 10 years or so to think about spiritual formation and spiritual growth. So today I want to share my perspective, how I think about these questions. How do we grow spiritually? How do we develop deeper and deeper relationship with God. What I share today is not kid-specific. I think it applies to all of us. At the same time, it also, what I share today, also deeply shape our children and and, um, youth ministries. They are the reasons why our children and youth programs differ from traditional church programs. So if you have young children, you might want to listen to this talk with that in mind as well. So when I think about spiritual journey, there is this one story in the Bible that I keep going back to, and it's Jacob's story. For those of you who are not familiar, um, Jacob is a patriarch of the Israelites. God later changes his name from Jacob to Israel, And his 12 sons become the fathers of 12 tribes of Israel. So he's a big deal in the Bible. Uh, And his story goes on for many chapters in the Bible. Uh, But since we have a limited time here, instead of reading it, I'm going to tell you the story with some illustrations. Um, And I'll be as succinct as possible. Jacob 
and his twin brother, Esau, were born of Isaac and Rebekah. The famous Abram and Sarah were Jacob's grandparents. So he grew up in a faith home, so to speak. Esau was the firstborn by seconds. The story goes that Jacob came out of his mother's womb holding onto Esau's heel. And, and he was not happy with that his twin brother was entitled to his birthright. And he seemed to spend his early life scheming to take his brother's place. So when his father becomes old and blind and dying, at his deathbed, he wants to pray for his firstborn, for God's blessing on him. And Esau um, was favored by his father. Jacob was favored by his mother. So Jacob, instructed by his mother, deceives his father, tricks him into thinking that he is Esau, and steals the blessing. There's a painting. You see the mother is instructing Jacob. It's a very dysfunctional family. (laughs) Then, of course, it was going to come out, and his brother finds out, and he vows to kill him as soon as their father passes away. So Jacob runs away to live with his mother's family in Haran. On his run, he spends a night out in the open using a stone as a pillow. And he dreams, and in his dream, God shows up. And um, he sees the, uh, in his dream, he sees the stairway that connects the earth to heaven. And God shows up and gives him this amazing promise. And let me read this part for you. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What is more, I am with you, and I'll protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Amazing promise. When Jacob wakes up, he realizes that God was there. So, And this was his reply. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I'll present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Well, let's pause here and let this sink in. Jacob, all his life, pursued the blessings from God. He deceives his dying father and cheats his twin brother out of his birthright because the blessing from God meant so much to him. And now, finally, God shows up 
and promises the world to him. And Jacob responds by saying, if you do this to me, then you'll be my God. Notice when God speaks to Jacob, he introduces himself as the God of your grandfather, the God of your father. At this stage in Jacob's life, God is not his God. Both God and Jacob acknowledge this. I mean, they just met, pretty much. So after this encounter, he travels on to Haran, to his uncle's house. He spends years there. He gets married. He has kids. He gets richer, and everything he does goes well. But conflicts in his life seem to multiply as well. He's still insecure, suspicious, and scheming. The striving continues on. And finally, God tells him it's time to go back to his father's home, father's land. So Jacob takes his two wives and their children and everything that he owns and travels back to Canaan. But he's still terrified of his brother. Remember, his brother threatened to kill him once. He might still be angry. So the night before Jacob has to face his brother, um, he sends all of his family ahead of him into a possible danger, and he stays behind. That night, he wrestles with God until dawn. During this struggle, Jacob's hip is dislocated, but he won't let go of God until uh, he blesses him. God blesses him there and gives Jacob a new name, Israel, which means he has fought with God and with men and prevailed. After this powerful and mystical, mystical encounter with God, Jacob seems changed. Now he goes in front of his family and meets Uh, meets his brother. And his brother is not angry with him. He's happy to see his twin brother. They're finally reconciled. And afterward, when Jacob is safely, safely back home in his country, the Bible says, um, and there he built an altar and named it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel means God the God of Israel. Israel was the new name God has given him at the end of his wrestling match. So here, when he says, the God of Israel, he is saying, my God. In the beginning of his journey, God was the God of his grandfather and God of the God of, uh, God of his father. Even though Jacob grew up in the family of faith, Not just any family of faith. He grew up in the patriarch family. He knew about God. He believed in God and his power. But still, God was someone else's God. And at the end of his long journey, after wrestling with God all night, God becomes Jacob's God. Finally, he lets God in. He trusts God. Faith is not belief. 
Nor is it what we know or what we do. It's much more than that. Faith is trust. Faith is about being in a trusting relationship with God who walks with us and guides us. And for this trusting relationship to form, Jacob needed to leave home. He left home where his people believed in God, to Haran, to a pagan culture, to really find God. Isn't that remarkable? This story of having to leave home to truly arrive back at home is a universal story. You might be able to identify this pattern in your own life story where you had to metaphorically or literally leave home to be able to find something bigger and truer. Sometimes it's called a teenage rebellion, disillusionment, or midlife crisis. I'm sure a lot of us go through this more than once. Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest, uses the metaphor of three boxes to describe this. So imagine three boxes. One is order, the second one disorder, and the third reorder. To be able to grow spiritually and mature as a person, we need to move through these boxes. Our understanding of God and the world and who we are need to evolve as we grow older. The key insight from Roar, as well as the story of Jacob, is this. To reach the place of reorder, we must go through disorder. We must leave home. We must wrestle with God, with our own doubts and fears. To reach the place where our faith is stronger and deeper and our God is bigger and more loving, we must go through this step. It cannot be skipped as hard as we might wish. And I suspect my friend Michael and Dee, whose stories I shared in the beginning, grew spiritually. They were able to be mature because they left home in their own ways. And this is not anything new. It is in, it's, it's in the Bible. It's in, in the nature. Jesus talks about having to lose life to gain life. A kernel of wheat has to die to bear fruit. Butterflies, seasons. It makes intuitive sense because we see it all around us. But it is something really, really hard to practice and let happen because it feels like going through death. The stage of disorder is where we don't have control, it is uncertain and risky. It scares us when we have to go through it, and it scares us even more when our children have to go through it, our loved ones. We understand our children need to leave home at some point if they are to continue to grow. But that doesn't make it easier, does it? 
On top of that, we're often taught, often by churches, that the stage of order, the first stage, is the final stage, the ideal stage of faith. We're taught that the Christian culture equals Christian faith. We're told that the stage of disorder means losing faith rather than a step toward a deeper faith. It seems we Christians can't trust that there is more life after disorder, which is ironic given that we are the people who believe in the resurrection after death. So many miss the chance to grow, and we quibble endlessly about what is the right thing to believe, what God approves or disapproves, who is in or who is out. No wonder Christians have become known as judgmental and intolerant instead of loving and and gracious. What is remarkable in Jacob's story is that we had to, he had to leave his culture of faith and go to a pagan culture where people worshipped idols to find God. He had to engage with God and himself and others away from home to find God who is bigger than his own world. So this is the first practical suggestion of the day. Walk bravely into disorder with God. This is not something we can make happen, I am told. But we can definitely refuse to go into the disorder. But God is there. Walk in it. Belief is such a fragile thing compared to trust. Belief is so limited compared to trust. Belief depends on what we know and understand. But trust covers all that we don't know as well. But trust doesn't just happen because it's the right thing to do. You can't force trust. Trust is formed in walking with somebody through ups and downs. Trust in God happens the same way as well, in walking with him through ups and downs and taking chances with him sometimes, even when we're not sure. It is formed through wrestling with him, arguing with him, and disagreeing with him sometimes. I mean, can you imagine a relationship where you cannot argue or disagree with the other person? Would you trust that person? Would you feel safe? So when the tension comes between what you used to believe, perhaps, and what you actually see in life, or the tension between who you are told to be and who you actually are, Or maybe you feel the tension toward the Bible. These tensions, they do come in life, don't they? So when that happens, don't look away from the tension, but bring it to God. 
let him take some heat. Instead of, of holding that tension all inside of us, inside of you, trying to resolve it on your own. Because there is no better place to find God. When Jacob leaves home after his despicable act of cheating his brother and deceiving his father, dying father, God shows up to him the very day, the first night of his um, trip. And whenever I tell this story to kids, I often tell stories to kids, um, kids in our um, sessions upstairs. They always ask, so did the blessing that he stole work? Is God saying it's okay? Is he condoning this? It's a very good question. I don't think so. I wonder this many times because I was asked all the time. I think God showed up to Jacob at that moment because that is what God does for everyone. When we're finally ready to leave the safety of home, to really find who we are and who God is, God is right there for us. He is ready to walk with us. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, if you know God or not, it doesn't matter what background or history you have, he is right here to engage with you. I want to hear, um, invite Stephanie up to share her story. I've asked her to share her story because uh, she has experienced some, uh, the same pattern that I've been talking about here. So here is Stephanie. I wasn't born into a Christian family, but I believe I was an ideal candidate for Christianity from the start. Not only was I an introspective and obedient child, uh, but I was driven to please others and plagued by guilt if I did wrong. I was baptized three times, as a Catholic baby, as a Pentecostal, and lastly as a Baptist, just to make sure we had covered all the bases. Uh, I loved church. I was really good at memorizing scriptures. I really felt like I was killing it at this Christianity thing. Uh, However, as I got older, I began to struggle with some of the teachings and experiences that I had at my church. I wondered, what about all these people around the world who had never heard of Jesus? Uh, Was I to believe that the God who loved me would just send them all to hell? My parents divorced when I was five, largely due to my father's refusal to give up of his unhealthy habits uh, and for his uh, refusal to pursue any type of religion. However, by the time I was in high school, my father attended church pretty regularly because he wanted to spend time with me. I remember one Sunday when a stranger approached us because he had seen my father raise his hand that he had said the prayer of salvation that day. My dad was very uncomfortable because everyone's eyes were supposed to be closed. Uh, But I've always been so grateful for that experience. Not long after that, when I was 18 years old, my father died suddenly on Easter Sunday. For years, I was so thankful to that nosy stranger for that confirmation that my dad had said the prayer and I would see him again in heaven. I don't know if I could have made it through without that hope. 
However, this experience made me feel that I owed God something. And so due to guilt, I forced myself to continue to attend traditional Christian churches, even when I felt conflicted or out of place. I journeyed deeper into a state of disorder when I moved to New York City. I was 22, and I didn't know a single person here. I quickly joined the first Christian church that I attended and went to everything that I could. I spent almost two years at that church, and I never developed a real friendship. The sermons led to judgmental attitudes. I grew tired of the same empty message from my childhood. Do the right thing or else. Eventually, I decided that my faith and my relationship with Jesus was real and that religion was something else entirely. I hesitated to even call myself a Christian. Then I met Ryan, my now husband, who was not a religious person and who I promise is not just taping this because I am here. This is something we're going to do more regularly, I believe. (laughs) Uh... We spent a couple years in our relationship and then decided that we wanted to join a faith community. We began visiting Christian and Unitarian churches, and I gave it over to God as to where we might end up. We ended up coming to the river on Easter Sunday of all days. I thought, surely this church is not going to make the cut. (laughs) Easter is the churchiest of all Sundays, and I could hardly remember an Easter sermon that was not based on, Jesus died for you, you must accept him so that you don't have to go to hell. Of course, that was not the message that we received from Charles that day, and so we kept coming back. A new phase of our relationship began where we were talking about faith regularly. We were comparing our past experiences with the message of the river, and we were filled with hope and enthusiasm, which we were sharing with our friends and family. For years, we attended the river while holding on to this nagging fear. We were afraid that eventually the traditional Christian rhetoric would come out and that our safe space would be ruined. I'm happy to say that about six years later, that hasn't happened, and we've taken about every class the river has to offer. However, I've had some not proud moments of reverting back to my judgmental mindset of my Baptist days. For example, one Sunday, while Ryan was still in a skeptical place, I told him he should not take communion if he didn't believe in Jesus. It was not very Christ-like of me. But this experience helped me realize how deeply ingrained these beliefs were. And how important it was that I worked through to figure out what I believed instead of just blindly accepting teachings as I had done in the past. I am so grateful to find a church community that delivers clear messages about how to live a life following Jesus, rooted in his example of love. Using the lens of what is loving and what is not has freed me from the judgmental religious mindset. I now feel at peace with my understanding of Christianity and can explain my Christian faith in a way that is true to who I am and fills me with joy and excitement instead of fear and guilt. Recently, while reading Dave Schmelzer's Blue Ocean Faith, I realized that I didn't need that awkward conversation with that nosy stranger to confirm that my dad had chosen to follow Jesus. I realized that I could see the change that a relationship with Jesus had made in the last few years of his life. He'd become less guilt-ridden, less emotionally closed off. He developed deeper connections with others because of his newfound joy for life. Knowing this fills me with so much more joy today than the thought of him reciting a prayer in the hopes of saving his soul ever could. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. So it's such a beautiful story of going through something that feels like a death of something, but finding something that is bigger and truer for her. 
Another reason we're so scared of walking into disorder is because it forces us to face our self, our smallness, our flaws, the darkness, as well as the beauty and the strength in us. Jacob's wrestling with God is really him wrestling with himself, his deepest fear and desires. He has to work through it to find who he truly is in God and who God is to him. God discovery and self-discovery are intimately intertwined. This is why we make conscious effort to help kids connect with who they are, their thoughts, their feelings, their desires and needs at River Kids and River Youth instead of telling them to trust telling them to just do what God wants them to do. We cannot trust if we don't know ourselves, whether you're a kid or an adult. So my second suggestion today is to do the work of self-discovery. Get to know yourself. Find a good therapist if you need to. Or sign up for spiritual direction that Sarah Firsty offers at the um, here. Um, it's a great way to become more aware of God, who is already walking with you. Uh, if you're interested in pursuing more and, and finding more about the spiritual direction, you can check the connection card, which is part of your program, and put it in the black boxes out um, in the hallway. I have alone time. And talk to God about your wants, your needs, your dreams, and your fears. In that, we grow and we find God. My last suggestion is to get to know people from different cultures. On one hand, it is strange that Jacob had to leave his faith home to find faith. On the other hand, it makes a total sense that he had to engage with the bigger world to grow and expand his understanding of God and himself. And the best way to engage with the bigger world is to get to know its people. In that sense, we have a great advantage of living in New York City. It's not hard to find people from the cultures different than yours, right? And that is true with the river as well. Look around you. We have such a diverse group of people, which is one of the things that I love about the river. You get to enjoy and experience the richness of different cultures coming together. And it is fun, but not only that, it is also, um, there's also spiritual power in different cultures coming together. At the same time, because everyone comes from different places, everyone feels a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning at the least. Regardless of where you're from, it is not entirely familiar to you. This can be a disadvantage, but also an amazing invitation to get to know the people around you. It will grow us and it will expand our perspective. So today, after the service, take advantage of this amazing community 
and get to know one person that you didn't before. I will give you the permission to walk up to a stranger and say hi. It will not be weird. Yes, I give you the permission. Um, one of the best things also we do at the river in getting to know each other and getting, becoming a community is the annual retreat that is coming up in August. It used to be uh, our partner's retreat, uh, membership retreat, but we figured the more the merrier. So we've decided to open it up to everyone, anyone in the, in the um, part of the river. And it's a really great place uh, to get to know people, meet people, what it feels like to um, have fun with each other, not just come to the church services. And this is actually one of the favorite things I feel like I do for our kids at the river. And it's not because we do Bible studies with the kids, because we don't. But the kids really get to experience what it feels like to belong to a community. They spend night and day playing with their friends. They run around out in the nature with each other. They get to know the grown-ups in their community. They get to show off their talent at the talent show and roast marshmallows at the bonfire. And um, many parents tell me that it's one, uh, they look forward to the retreat every year. We have some uh, pictures of uh, people. <laughs> This is getting on to the buses. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's a nice place where um, there are a lot of activities available for kids. Um, we have a lot of free time where <laughs> uh, a lot of games that happen between grown-ups and the kids. Um, there's some dance happens, things like that. So if you're interested in finding out more about it, check the connection box that says retreat, um, and we will get back to you <laughs> with more information, yes. Yes. Can you see how this would make their kids' day, you know, that they get to participate with everyone else? Okay, so let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are the God who walks with us. When we're aware of it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, that you're always with us, whether we know you or not. And I pray that as we... Uh, walk into the unknown with you. I pray that you will continue to grow us and transform us and mature us in a way that we find you to be more loving and bigger and we find ourselves, our true selves, and we find uh, the capacity in all of us to love and love deeply. In Jesus' name. Amen.